right, if you've got a Bible, we're going to look in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, if you've got a phone, you can look on the YouVersion app. Our, my notes will be on there as well. Hebrews chapter 4, where we're going to be this morning. Love to have you follow along in the Word of God uh, with me. So, uh, just to let you know, in the world of manhood, uh, judgments are made every day about how manly uh, someone is. And, uh, and, and so th- there's different uh, ways and variables in which to figure out how much of a man someone is. Of course, there's physical stature, how much of a physically they are a man. Then there's intelligence, how intelligent a man is. Uh, then there's, there's humor, how witty he is, how cunning he is, how, how magnetic this personality is. But judgments are made all the time about how manly someone is. And I, there's, there's one particular uh, way that, that people kind of judge how, how manly someone is. And it, it's a very special, it's a very special trait. And here's the, here's the trait. I think it's heavily coveted uh, by most men. And it is this, to be a connector. And here's what I mean by that. That you are a guy who's got a guy for everything, right? That you know a lot of people who can get stuff done in very specific skilled positions. You're the guy who's got a guy. You got a guy for everything, right? That you got a guy like, and and people go to you because they want to know who your guy is, right? So if you need, if you need a car, I got a guy for that. You need a massage, I got a guy for that, right? You need tires, I got a guy for that. You need brakes, I got a guy for that. You need a mechanic, I got a guy for that. You need yellow-handled spoons, I got a guy for that, right? Uh, I mean, it might be in China, but I got a guy for that, right? You need anything, I got a guy for that. Like, I am the connector, and, uh, and, and you got a guy for everything. This, this is a person that kind of holds the social fabric of the community together because he functions as this, like, grand central station of information, right? And he fears Facebook because the whole recommendation thing kind of freaks him out when everybody gets on there and says, does anybody have any recommendations, right? Because that, that's taking away his manhood. This is, this is my thing. I'm the guy who's got a guy. I know everybody. I have something. And so the, these are the mediators of society, And we need these guys. We need relationships with them because ultimately they're going to lead us to the relationship that we ultimately need, okay? Now, there's two mistakes as it pertains to having a guy, right? There's two mistakes. Here's the the first mistake. Thinking that you need a mediator, but you really don't, right? Thinking that you need somebody, but you really don't, all right? And this is... is, um, so we've all, we've all experienced this kind of one. So we, we thought, okay, I really need a guy for this. I'm going to hire somebody for this. I'm going to get a guy for this because I can't do it. Uh, and then sometimes you kind of figure out at the end of the day, that's really not such a special skill after all. Okay? So one day we had a, um, we had a mouse in our house, right? Uh, and, uh, and he was leaving traces of himself uh, everywhere. Uh, and, and, and to have a somewhat quasi-OCD cleanly wife, um, this is a problem. Uh, and so, and he was leaving remnants of himself all over our house. And we'd never dealt with that before. And so uh, I called my guy who knew guys. And I said, hey, I need a guy who will deal with this mouse. And he's like, oh, I got a guy, right? Uh, and so he sends me his guy. And uh, this special guy comes to our house. Uh, and he sets all these fancy little traps all over our house. And, uh, and he says, okay, that'll be 100 bucks. And I pay him 100 bucks, And he says, it shouldn't be a problem anymore. I said, okay, great. 
Weeks went by and nothing happened, right? The mouse kept on leaving himself all over the place, uh, and it was, it, was, it was pretty awful. And I'm like, what in the world? So I go to Lowe's. I buy the $5 small little mouse traps that you've seen, right? I put a little peanut butter on them. I place it underneath the sink. We're watching TV. 45 minutes later, fuck, mouse is gone. $5, 45 minutes. I didn't need a guy for that. Like, I didn't need that. It was, it was a really annoying thing that I paid somebody $100, and I really just didn't need a guy for that. Now, the second problem that we could have is thinking, and this is probably worse, is thinking that you don't need a guy, but you really do, right? And every woman in this room who has a husband has experienced this, okay? I don't need a guy for that. I got this. I don't, we don't, I, I could, DIY is my middle name. Like, I... I got this thing down, and you're looking at the finished product of what you should have gotten a guy for, and it looks like you were drunk while you did it, right? And, uh, and you're just you're thinking, man, you should have called a guy. Like, you really needed a mediator for that. So it's never good to think that I've got this, but you really, really don't. Because mediators are really important in our lives. They're really important people. They connect us. They, they potentially keep us from some dangerous situations. Uh, they keep us going in the right direction. They help us succeed in our goals. So here's the question for us this morning. Is in our most important relationship, in our most important relationship in our lives, which is our relationship with God, do we need a guy for that? Do we need a mediator? Do we need somebody that we connect with that will ultimately get us to the ultimate connector? Between us and the God of the universe, do we need a guy? Do we need a mediator? Now, your answer to that question is going to vary based upon your own personal history. So if you're, if you're not a believer in this room, if you're not a Christian and you came into this room, you, drug, you got the drug here somehow, and you're just like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing in church, but I'm here and... And, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm glad that you're here, first of all, because I really want you to lean into this because it's really important for you, okay? Uh, so, but if, if you're not a Christian, you don't have really any history of that, um, and you're trying to figure this whole thing out, you're probably thinking, okay, God of the universe is a big deal. I'm not that big of a deal, and I have some introspection in my life, so I probably, it would probably be good if I had somebody to set up that date. Like, if I had somebody that, was, that went between the God of the universe, big God, and me, it'd probably be a good idea. So kind of the answer, if you're not a believer at all, like the answer is, yeah, sure, I probably need a guy. Like, I probably need a mediator. Now, if you have a history where you were Catholic or are Catholic, okay, you, you know the answer to this thing pretty easily because you've been taught all your life that you do need a mediator, and they're called priests, and that's what the priesthood is for, and that you grew up with the idea of priests, and the function of a priest was to be the mediation, to sit in that mediation seat, um, that, that the priest stood in your, like he stood in that middle range place between you and God, and he stood there on your behalf, and the priest took in, he heard your sins and your confessions, and he took those sins and confessions 
to God to make atonement for them. Uh, and he assured you, uh, depending on, you know, he probably gave you some things to do or some works to do. Uh, and, and then therefore you'd be granted forgiveness and atonement for your sins. And it, it all is dependent on your, and based on your tradition. It's very possible, especially in the Catholic Church, that you have multiple layers of mediation. It's possible that you, you know, for, uh, confess your sins to the priest. The priest would then confess your sins to a saint or Mary, or somebody like that, and then Mary, or that saint, would then confess them to Jesus, who would then confess them to God, okay? So there's multiple layers of mediation, if you came from a Catholic background. So your answer to that question, do I need a guy? Do I need a mediator? The answer, if you came from that Catholic background, is yeah, yeah, we need a mediator, okay? Now, if you came from a Protestant background, like Baptist, or Presbyterian, or Pentecostal, or one of the other Protestant denominations, your answer to that question is no, I've been taught all of my life that I don't need anybody to speak to God on my behalf, that I can go directly to him, uh, and, and I can bring all of my requests directly to God, and I don't need a guy, uh, and I don't need a priest to make atonement for my sins, so I'm good. I don't need a guy. So all of that is dependent upon your history, uh, and, you might, and you might answer that question in different ways. Ways And so really the question is, do we need a connector? Do we need a mediator? Do we need a priest? Do we need a guy that gets us to God? And I think the Bible has some answers for that, okay? So in the Bible, these people are called priests. So very so, you know, similar to the Catholic tradition, uh, these people are called priests. And they're found in the Bible very on in the book of Genesis. You don't have to turn in the book of Genesis, but the first occurrence that we see of a priest in the Bible is this guy called Melchizedek. And he come, he's a very mysterious uh, character in the Bible. He's not there for very long, but Abraham has this encounter with this guy named Melchizedek. And he comes into the scene, and all that is said about him is that he is a priest of the Most High God. Okay, And he, what he does is he blesses Abraham, he blesses his family, and says that you are going to be the founder of this nation of God. And Abraham then takes 10% of what he owns, and he, and he worships God, and he gives 10% to the ministry of Melchizedek. So if you're wondering where we get the tithe from, this idea that we should give 10% of our income you can thank Melchizedek, okay? This guy in Genesis. So, so that's the first occasion that we have of a priest. Now we're going to fast forward the tape a good bit uh, where we're going to get to the, the people of Israel now have been founded by Abraham, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they grow to be a big nation, and they're in the nation of Israel, and then Moses leads them out of uh, of enslavement, 400 years of enslavement, and Moses leads them out, and Moses begins to put together the books of the law, what God has said as to how the, the people of God are going to be governed. There's an entire book of the Bible called Leviticus that deals with the priestly order. What are the priests supposed to do? Okay, and so they and, and it gives very specific instructions about about the Levites. Now, the book of Leviticus is named after the Levites. So you have 12, um, you have the 12 sons of Jacob, which become the 12 nations of Israel. Now, 11 of them, I know this is kind of getting in the weeds a little bit, but it's kind of important. 11 of them had land or territory. There was one of them, one nation, that was not given any land, and they were the Levites. They were the, the priestly order, and everyone else was to give and provide for the Levites. Now, the Levites, their job was to take care of the temple, the, the sacred rituals of the people of God. They were to see after making sure that the people worshipped in the right way. They were the priests, and so they would bring their sons up 
to be priests in the Levite uh, order, and their job was to take care of the temple. Not unlike pastors or staffs of churches today, okay? But so it was their vocation at the time to deal uh, with, uh, with everything that happens at the temple. So it was their responsibility. Now, their primary objective, and get this, so their primary objective was to see over the sacrificial system or the sacrifice system. That is how people were forgiven of their sins back in the Old Testament. They would bring an animal, an unblemished or perfect animal, they would bring that animal to the temple where it would be slaughtered by one of the priests or one of the Levites, where all the blood would be drained out, and then it would be burned or sacrificed on behalf of the people. And that would symbolically mean that all of the sins of this particular family were going to be covered over by this sacrifice. It was a very bloody job that I'm thankful that I don't have to do today, right? Because uh, that would be really tough. Uh, so, and so they would, every day this would happen. Hundreds and thousands of people would come every day to the temple. They would bring an animal or a fruit sacrifice, and they would slaughter these things. It was a very bloody deal every single day. And th- that blood was given over to the high priest where he would bring it into an inner court, where, he would, uh, where, where it would be burned in sacrifice to uh, the Lord. And so you have the priests that would handle all of the people, and they would be out on the outer courts of the temple. And then the, pre- the high priest would take the offerings into the inner court of the temple, where only the priests could go. The other people, the common people, the common Israelites, could not go into the inner court because they were not righteous enough. Only the priests were righteous enough. Only the priests were allowed to go closer to where God, uh, where the presence of God was located. And then there was another room called the Holy Room, okay? The Holy Room, where only the high priests could go. So only the highest priests could go, where he would bring the sacrifices of the people. And he would do this on a weekly basis. Now, now there was one day a year, and you might have seen this on your calendar, it's the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, if you, on a Jewish calendar. And that was the Day of Atonement, where that one day a year, that one high priest, the highest of the high priests, he would go and sacrifice something on his behalf, because he was a sinful man as well. So he would make a sacrifice to atone for his own sin. And then he would take the blood of a spotless lamb, and he would enter into a special room that was called the Holy of Holies, or the holiest place. And that was a special room where the Ark of the Covenant, or the presence of God, was located. And in that room, that man, only one time a year, for one day, For a very small amount of time, he would enter into that room and he would sprinkle that blood on top of the the Ark of the Covenant or what's called the mercy seat. And that was to take away the sins of the entire nation of Israel for one year. And then he would quickly remove himself not to come back there for an entire year. And that's the job of the priest. No one could do it except for that one righteous guy. He had a birthright. He was a Levite, he was special, and he was righteous, and he was the only one who could go to get the forgiveness of sins. In the Old Testament, if you were an Old Testament Jew, you really needed to know that guy. Because you couldn't do it. You were not holy enough. Now you might be looking and hearing about that story and think, man, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Like, I'm glad that the church has modernized a good bit, you know, 
And I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad we've moved on. I'm glad we don't do that sacrifice, sacrificial system anymore. I'm glad glad that we outsourced all of that to somewhere else. I'm glad that I don't have to go to Jerusalem. I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. I'm just I'm glad we've modernized, right? But here's the deal. That's not exactly what happened. It's not as if we've just kind of moved on. It's not as if we've modernized or outsourced this, okay? All of the rituals that I just said, you might even say, oh, I'm, you know, that, that's not what Christianity is anymore. But here's the deal. Not exactly what happened. Everything that I just said about all of those rules, and there's hundreds of more of them, right? All of those rules and all of those rituals were ordained by God. They were written down in your Bible. You can read every single one of them. They were given to us by God. And they were law. And God doesn't make mistakes. And God isn't doing a do-over with the church. God still needs those laws to be in place. Why? Because God doesn't change. The Bible tells us very specifically that God, the same God of the Old Testament, the same God that wrote all of those laws about the Levitical priests and all that stuff, it's the same God and he doesn't change. It's not like he said, oh, well, that didn't work very well, so I'm going to step back, my bad, and uh, we're going to go with a different system. That's not what happened. God doesn't change. He's the same God a million years ago as he will be a million years from now. He doesn't change. He still needs a priest. Now there's one specific difference. There's one specific difference, and it's significant, between us and the Israelites. You see, the Israelites, they had priests. And they were sinful men. They had priests, and they would die and not become alive again. They had these priests, and they had to repeat the sacrifice over and over every day, every year. They had to keep on going. And we, we have something that is so much more than we think. We have something that is so much better than that now. And it's so much greater. We have a guy. (laughs) We got a guy that trumps all of that. We have a priest that trumps all other priests. We're going to read about them right here in Hebrews chapter 4. So if you've got Hebrews chapter 4, say, I got it. Awesome, good. Chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 14. It says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Give it to me. Jesus, right? The Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in, the t- in our time of need. So to answer the question... Do we need a guy? Do we need a priest to connect us with God? Do we need a mediator that will redeem our relationship with God? The answer is an emphatic yes. We do, just not an earthly one. We need a priest. We don't need a man. 
that has some kind of birthright or a title. We don't need a man that grew up in the right family. We don't need one that was educated in the right schools. We don't need one that went through all the rites and rituals as a priest. The Bible says right here in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus, the Son of God, was our great high priest. He was our and is our great high priest. And here's what this means. Number one, he was the perfect priest. He was the perfect priest. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, it says this, he passed through the heavens. He passed through the heavens. See, an Old Testament priest, once a year, only once, all right, after making an atonement for his own self because he was sinful, he had to pass through a veil that, that kept him away from the holiest of holies, from the holy place. Okay, there's separation. And only once a year he could pass into the presence of God where he was scared for his life, where he would take animal blood and he would sprinkle it onto a golden box that represented the presence of God. Jesus more than we think, much better, sheds his own blood as the Lamb of God and then goes to the presence of God to stand in front of God himself, not a symbol, not a room, but goes into heaven before the Father himself, displays himself and said, I made atonement for all of them forever. And no longer do we need some priest to ritually say, I'm going to sprinkle animal blood on a box but we have this perfect priest shed his own blood. He now stands in front of the Father and makes atonement for us forever. So not only is he the perfect priest, he's the perfect person. He is the perfect person. He's the perfect person. Every other guy was sinful. Every other priest was imperfect and broken. Every other priest pretended to be holy. He pretended to be righteous, but far from, far from perfection. Nowhere close to perfection. You see Jesus in verse 15, I love this. He was able to sympathize, I love this, able to sympathize with us because he was tempted. He was tried in every single way. He became a man just like you and I, and he was tempted with the same exact problems, if, if not worse, excuse me, and suffered through the same circumstances and probably worse than all of us put together. He knows our difficulty. He knows our pain, if not worse. He knows our grief. The Bible says that when Jesus came upon the funeral of his, one of his good friends, Lazarus, that the Bible says that Jesus shuddered. That he shuddered and he grieved. Just like you and I, if we lost our friend, that we would shudder and grieve. That he, that he felt that kind of pain, that he sympathized with us, right? And he knows our anxiety. The Bible says that Jesus, before his crucifixion, was in the garden, and he was awaiting his own uh, trial and his own crucifixion, and the stress of it caused him to sweat in drops of blood. He knows our anxiety. He can have sympathy for us. But here's the difference. The difference is that Jesus never did anything wrong. The Bible says that he was completely perfect and he was the only one. He's the only one that can be our mediator and redeem our sins. And here's the truth of it, guys. And here's where it comes down to our ground level to where we are. Is we all are looking for mediators. 
We're all looking for someone who's going to take away the pain, who's going to take away our shame, who's going to take away our grief, who's going to take away our anxiety. We're all looking for those. And I don't know whether it's money. We might be striving after money because if I had enough money, I wouldn't be so stressed. We might be striving after that relationship. I need this boyfriend. I need this girlfriend. I need these relationships because if I had those, those would be mediators for me that would make me feel better. If I had my house, if I had a car, if I had all this stuff, if I had the right job, if, 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 if I had all these things, if I had the right mediator, then then I would be fine. But all of those are broken. Even your spouse and certainly your kids, they're all broken. And they're poor mediators. They will never ultimately give you what you want. But Jesus who sympathizes with us, who is there with us, who knows our grief, knows our anxiety. And he is saying, listen, you need to get rid of all the ifs because all of those are going to be broken one day. And you need, like, I am here for you right now. I know you. I walked in your shoes. I sympathize with you. And here's the deal. I went through everything that you went through and worse, and I never turned away from the Father. I never sinned. I never became broken. And that's why you can rely on me. And I am with you until the very end. And this is the last one, number three. Jesus is our perfect provision. Jesus is our perfect provision. It says this in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. See, here, listen to the language there. Draw near with confidence. Now, think about this. Just think about it. I know that we're not, we're not Old Testament Israelites, okay? So none of us have ever, we've never been to this, the temple, old sacrificial system. None of us have ever done that, okay? But think about the readers who are reading this New Testament letter at the time that it's written, okay? And it says this, with confidence, we can approach God. Think about that. All they've known their entire life was that this one holy man with a pedigree, with an education, and he was perfect in every single way. Only he can stand before God. I can't stand before God. I have to be way out on the outer court. I can't even get close. But this one guy once a year can approach God. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, because of Christ, our great high priest, we can with confidence approach, and here it is, the throne of grace. And most of us think that God's throne is this throne of wrath, that he's just going to boil us alive, like he's, he's just there to slap us down. But, the, but Hebrews says what? It's a throne of grace. He desires for you to approach him with confidence. With confidence. How do we do that? How does someone who's so afraid of God, I can't approach God, I've got to go through some other meteor, i got to have a priest, i got to have Mary, i got to have a saint, i got to have something else that goes before me to, you know, smooth it over with God because I'm not really that great. All right? No, it says, approach the throne with confidence. How? How? How is that even possible? I'm not allowed to stand in front of God. Not me. And the way that it is made possible is through that great high priest who has given to us access. And the how he has given to us, uh, to us access is this. 
It's the beautiful picture of the gospel that Jesus substituted himself for us. That literally, we switch places. Most of us completely understand the idea that Jesus died for us on the cross. That he took our place, and that's substitution. But here's the glory of that substitution. Not only did he take our place on the cross, which is the essence of the gospel, he also gave all of his righteousness to us. So we're not neutral anymore. Most of us think, okay, well, my sins are forgiven. I'm just kind of neutral with God. That's not, the, that's not exactly the gospel. The gospel is, is that he took away our sins, but then also he gave to us his own righteousness. So when God sees us, he sees his child. And so who can confidently come into the throne room of the Father? Well, their child can. They can come with confidence. They can come as many times as they want. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, here it is, this is the, the exchange, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's access. It's access that he traded places with us. So, do you need a priest? You're daggum right you do. And his name is Jesus. And he desires and longs to be the one who stands between you and God the Father. And he wants to say, this is my child. I died for him. He is mine. And now what you see is my righteousness inside of him, inside of her, and it gives you access to the Father. And if you've never had that type of access... Today is the day to get that right with Jesus. And you can have it today through a relationship with God. And so at the end of this service, we're going to have a time where you can respond. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. I don't, I don't have a lot of answers. That's okay. We just want to pray with you. We want to teach you more about what this means, how you can become a Christian, how you can stir the waters of baptism in May. But we want you to have that kind of access to God where you're not standing on the outside, but you have the righteousness of Jesus that's covering over you so that with the God of the universe, when he sees you, he sees a child. Now, the question, guys, is why do we have this idea of priests? Where did that come from? Isn't that in the Bible somewhere? If we have priests. If we only have Jesus, why, why do we have priests now? Where did that idea come from? And the answer is, is that there, there really is no, there's now in the New Testament, there is no special group of priests that are more holy than anyone else. Uh, it knows nothing of men who will hear confession and then bring it to God. Uh, we confess our sins directly to Jesus, who then takes them to God the Father and atones for them. But it does call, it does call for priests. In 1 Peter... It calls us all, the church, the priesthood of the believers, that all of us, because we are all now children of God, we're not a special pedigree, we don't have a special education, we don't have a special birthright, but we are all now children of God and that we have the birthright of the priesthood. And here's what that means. It doesn't mean that you atone for anybody's sins. It just simply means that you set up a date between your friends who don't know Jesus him. It is our job. We use the word missionary all the time at the church at Cane Bay. We say that we are missionaries to a lost world. 
in a very kind of more religious, I guess, type way, we can say, I am a priest to my friends. My job is not to atone for their sin, but my job is to set up a date between Jesus and them. And therefore, I am a priest. I'm a guy who gets a guy. That's all we are, is we're a bunch of mediators who know a guy. Do you got a guy? That's what we're trying to do at the Church of King Bay, where we're a bunch of priests just trying to make make chances for people to meet Jesus. So let's go out there and do it this week, church. We can do it. Let's pray together. And if you want a relationship with Jesus this morning, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and I want to talk to you right back there about it. Let's pray. Father, there are those in this room that I I know, I know they don't have a relationship with you. They have not made that exchange. You are not covering over their sin. Not yet. Because they have not believed. And so God, I pray that you would now, right now, work in their heart. Allow them to have the courage to say that they need you. Allow them to have the conviction to know that they they desire for their sins to be forgiven. Help them to respond. So Jesus, thank you for being our great high priest. Thank you that you did not leave us just to languish in our own sin. Thank you that we don't do this bloody animal sacrifice anymore that you for once, you you one time gave your life away, that you shed your own blood forever and ever and that is the only atonement that we need. So God, thank you for Jesus. I'm thankful that he gave himself up for me. Thank you that it is just a ton of reckless, it's an act of recklessness. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you give your perfect son for a sinful, for a sinful people? overwhelming father it's good and and i love being overwhelmed by your love god i pray if there's those who desperately need you that they would walk they would move from their seat come to a relationship